He's got a beautiful backswing. That's, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. Hello and welcome everyone to another episode of the 73rd Hole. A little different voice introducing the show today. Taylor Williams here, Colby Powell and Sam Humphreys both out of the office today, but I am joined by the Hall of Famer Jim Woodward, so we're going to be able to coast everyone in today. Uh, Woody, it seems like that this was, we've taken about a nine or ten day hiatus. It's been, the last time I think we did that was maybe around Christmas time, so how did you spend your uh, unofficial vacation time? Well, uh, besides uh, melting, other than that, I uh, did a little teaching, did a little work on the farm, uh, watched some golf. I was interested to see what was going on. And, of course, just to see what the, the live tour was going to pull out of their hat and, then, you know, leading up to this next uh, big event for them. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, we've got even some more rumors that we'll kind of dive into a little bit later. Before we talk about the kind of the stuff that happened this last weekend, it's going to be a little different show for anyone out there listening since it's been so long. So we'll do a little bit of recap here, then we'll get to previewing most stuff um, down the road. But my little story that I wanted to share, Woody, tell me how adventurous this is. So um, the State Am, for anyone living in Oklahoma, the State Am is going on this week at Oklahoma City Golf and Country Club, one of the biggest tournaments around and I was supposed to caddy for uh, my friend Ryder Cowan most people listening know who he is he's committed to OU one of the best players in the state and uh, so I'm heading up Monday morning go caddy and um, I check and my back right tire is almost flat so what I do is I go to the uh, convenience store and I get some air put in well as soon as I put the air in I can just hear this son of a bitch just screaming out with the air I mean it's just coming out so I, I I know that I'm not going to be able to make it uh, at least whenever I'm supposed to. So what happens is I go down, and this is like 7 in the morning too, Woody, so none of the uh, tire places are open right now. So what I do is I leave oh it at – yeah, I, uh, I have a friend here. I actually worked there in college. Shout out Pro Auto Care and Chicken. said they were able to help me out really good. So I dropped it off there, and uh, I was going to take my dad's uh, my dad's Jeep up there to uh, to do the same thing. And basically I get almost all the way up there, and um, – the uh, the son of a bitch just basically blows up on me. the uh, The head gasket ended up going out, and uh, so I, I, Woody, I set a record. I've never had two vehicles break down on me in the same day. What kind of luck is that, my friend? That's not good, buddy. Uh, that that one deal did you try to fix a flat? Because it's terrible for your tires. I know if there's tire people out there listening, today, they're going to go, "Don't put that in there." Well, it, it worst case scenario, you can get from point A to point B, and hopefully it'll hold. But uh, no, it sounds like you had a lot of bad luck. Hopefully, your player did not. Yeah, well, he, he actually didn't uh, lost three and one the first match, so didn't have his best stuff. Said the putter wasn't working, but um, I do have confirmation his uh, rider's going to go up and play the uh, the junior PGA Championship in Chicago, I believe, next week or two. So uh, no halt in his game going on. We got a lot of good stuff going on at the State M Woody. We'll kind of get into that a little bit after the break, but uh, just want to get your opinions on some of the golf that happened this last weekend since it's been long so long since it's been on. We had um, had Tony Finau really come out of the woodworks to uh, to win the uh, 3M Open. Scott Pierce, he looked like he had it the exact the whole time, and he he played some of the biggest choke golf I've ever seen. Would he come down the stretch? It was very 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 bad, wasn't it? And uh, then we also had Brooke Henderson win the uh, win the Evian Championship uh, by one shot over Sophia uh, Schubert from uh, America. So it would have been nice to see the American beat the Canadian, lost by one stroke there. And then we had 
a fan favorite of the show, Darren Clark, win over at uh, in the Senior Open Championship, beat Podrick Harrington by one shot, who made a run in a, a very rain-oriented Senior Open. So, Woody, what were your highlights from the uh, golf that transpired this last weekend? Well, for the first time, I got to tell you, Tony Finau not only had a little break with how Pierce he just blew up on the back nine, but he also uh, the break he got on 17 where he ricochets off the grandstand and it stays up by inches from going in the water and pitches it up makes par. The bogey he made on 18 wasn't a big deal. I mean, he hit a, I, I thought that drive hit was a little risky to even get the water into play, but he had so much of a cush he could just bring it in. Tony Finau, though, you know, for the longest time, it seemed like every time he was close to winning, either he blew it or somebody took it from him. It was kind of fun to see. You know, that ending, I felt bad for Scott Piercy, but it, it's good for Tony Finau to have a break or two go his way. Well, and you know, Woody, too, just kind of looking at the stats, because you're exactly right on what happened on 17. That was one of the luckiest breaks I've ever seen. That was one of the – whenever you're leading a golf tournament with the water left, you have to play from middle to right side of the green and just put it over there, and then if you make a bogey, so be it, because he had such a, a large lead and ends up hitting a, a pretty big snap hook for, with an iron, which is really uncalled for at that stage of the competition. And like you said, not only did it miss the water hazard by uh, by a few inches, but it was a yellow hazard, too. So he was going to have to go all the way back and drop, just like uh, Scott Piercy uh, had to do, because he put in the water – when he came up there as well, you know, and just looking at stats here too, Woody, that's pretty interesting. Uh, for the tournament, Finau gained .16 uh, strokes game putting, so barely just over average there. Gained 1.25 off the tee, one stroke around the green, and two strokes approach the green. So had really a phenomenal week everywhere else. But in the final round, Woody, gained 3.49 strokes game putting. So he made uh, made a few clutch putts there. I believe on, I think it's 13. That's the hole that Scott Piercy hit it, uh, plugged it in the fairway bunker, then hacked it out, then hit it in the water. And so that was the hole. I believe he made triple there, and uh, Finau was able to make a birdie there. So a four-shot swing and ends up beating Piercy by exactly four shots. Woody. To me, that's exactly where the tournament definitely flipped on its head and turned into a whole different ballgame. You know, it, it just seemed like all week, Piercy, it, it was his golf tournament. And even on the front nine, he got off to a good start. He was playing really solid golf and then just literally imploded on that back nine. That 13th hole, I mean, that was some kind of some bad breaks plugging in the bunker on the tee shot that's that's a little bit of an unlucky break for sure but then to compound it by then hitting his third shot in the water um you know I, we don't like to use the term choke because i hate that term but let's just say he might not have choked but he was having a lot of trouble breathing on the back nine well, and two, here, you look at his scorecard, I believe after, <clears throat> excuse me, on hole, standing on eight tee box, he had like a five-shot lead, I believe. Then he comes in, he yeah. bogeys eight, which is part three, bogeys nine, uh, pars ten, bogeys 11, makes it makes a pretty standard birdie on 12, hit it just short of the green, hit a great chip. But Woody, too, also on 13, I don't know if you remember this shot, it's um the, the part three that, that the green kind of goes a little bit from the left to the right, and there's the, the native area over to the right, and that's Scott Piercy hit his iron shot at least 30 yards over to the right in a spot that they, they said on the broadcast that no one had hit it in all week and you can just see it that the fescue that that the ball was in there was just no way to get that ball close oh i thought he had a hell of a shot and i'll honestly just get it on the green so definitely some loose swings coming down the stretch for scott piercy and you know kind of salvage it up with a uh with a birdie on 16 but then the uh, the bogey on 17 and then you know woody i want your opinion on this too Emiliano Grillo in the middle of the round made a made a horrendous triple bogey on number seven end up losing a tournament by three strokes i mean is that 
a lot of people will highlight what happens at the end of the round or on the back nine, like with Scott Piercy, but it really highlights that it can happen Thursday, Friday, or Saturday, but even on the front nine of Sunday, Woody, to make a triple, then follow up with a, with a bogey, so he is four over on seven and eight and lost the tournament by three shots, Woody, that's got to sting quite a bit. Well, when we're watching these golf tournaments coming up here in the next few weeks, you got to remember, these are a lot of guys that aren't, aren't your household names. They're guys trying to either get to the FedEx playoffs, keep their card. There's a lot of pressure on these tournaments, even though people don't realize it out there watching. They, they don't know. These guys are playing for their jobs. They're playing for their livelihood. So the pressure of these golf tournaments on some of these players it's every bit as much as uh, Rory McIlroy trying to win that uh, Open Championship a couple weeks ago. It it is, it is a it pressure. Is something that's funny, T.W. You play enough golf to understand what what happens is a guy plays the club championship, let's say, and he's trying to win it. He's never won it. He's got those same heart rates that a guy trying to keep his card or a guy trying to win a major. And I know that sounds stupid, but once the body gets into that motion of of, of being too fast, uh, heart rate goes up, nerves come in. It doesn't matter if it's a club championship, the rocket mortgage. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It, it is, it is the same. And people out there listening need to understand when those things start happening. I was told one time by some pretty good players, not just one, m- numerous guys would tell me, "You got to slow everything down. You slow your heartbeat down. You slow your walk down. You." You try everything you can to make your body slow down because that's what kills guys. Their tempo gets off or they get a little bit scared. That's why Piercy hits a shot 30, 40 yards right of a target with an iron. That's just a bad golf swing. But as much as anything, that is just his body not freewheeling, not letting him go. He He's nervous. He's Everything's fast, and all of a sudden these wild shots come in. And then when you hit a wild one, then you got to compose yourself. You got to get used to the fact, okay, I got to slow down here. I got to do everything I can to get myself back on that rhythm that I started the day with. Woody, along those same lines of playing under the pressure, I thought it was, it's an interesting phenomenon because coming down the stretch, there most of those holes at uh, in, in Minnesota, they have water, you know, come down in particularly 14 and 15 and 17 like we're talking about. And I feel like one of the most underrated things in pressure is the, the decisions that people make, you know, like the target lines that players take off, off tee boxes and stuff like that. So let's just, let's just go back to that 14th hole where Scott Piercy hit it right in, in the bunker. Like, obviously you can tell that he's trying to avoid the water because that's the most crucial mistake, but he ended up hitting it obviously too far right. So in your philosophy, Woody, whenever you have a bigger lead like that, and let's say there's, there's trouble left versus a, a bunker right, do you – do you just have to try to, to nut up and say that you're going to hit the same shot that you would if you were one or two shots down, or do you play it a little bit further right, maybe play a draw back against it? Does your does your mindset and line change on holes like that whenever you have a lead versus when you don't? I think it's almost inevitable that you, you start guarding. You start protecting. That's what you're trying to do. And I think what you're saying there is so critical because I think what happens with the mindset is now it's please don't hit it here or I don't want to go there. Instead of all week long, he's looked at probably the fairway and never even thought about the lake or the bunker. But all of a sudden, with the tournament in in jeopardy, so to speak, he now becomes a golfer that's going, "Uh uh-oh, I don't want to go here. Well, that's the worst golfer you can be because 
we've talked about Bob Rotel one time told me the mind doesn't hyper between do's and don'ts. If he said, I don't want to hit it in that water, his mind is saying water. So he'll either hit it in the water or hit it way right like he did into the bunker. He's got to get into that 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 mode or that that ability. Like we said, you've got to just take deep breaths. You gotta you gotta refocus and you don't hit a golf shot until you're ready to hit that golf shot and you sure as heck don't have a mindset all of a sudden that says, I've got the lead. I've got to protect the lead at all costs. So the answer to that question, in my opinion, is you keep playing the same golf you've been playing, which got you the lead to begin with. I think you can just get where you're so careful not to make the big mistake. What do you make the big mistake? It's inevitable, Woody. What's also inevitable is the uh, best golf cleaner uh, club in the game. That's a Groove It Brush. You know, you can go to their website, GrooveItBrush.com, promo code 73rd hold. That's 73RDHOLE, not spelled out 73rd hold. We've had that question asked a couple times. You get 10% off uh, the brush. Literally the best brush in the game. You put water in it. It has a magnet that detaches. You don't have to deal with those those pesky wires that always get detached. And especially whenever you put your clubs on on the bag with the strap and everything, you always got to maneuver around. And you don't have to worry about that with the, with the Groove It Brush. Literally the best club cleaner out there. Make sure you check it out at GrooveItBrush.com. Promo code 73rd hole. Get uh, 10% off today. So, Woody, a couple of other things I want to get to before we uh, start previewing stuff going on and getting into some more deeper things. Scott Piercy on Saturday, he was he, it was going around the internet and pretty pretty headline worthy that he was walking around with essentially one shoe on. He, he had a really bad blister. That's not bad. That he was that he was trying to take care of. So it got me thinking, Woody. You played a lot lot of golf at the professional level. What's the worst uh, injury that you played through? Well, when I when I fractured my patella or tore my patella, how do you break a patella? When I did that at Houston Open on the seventy first hole, I literally played the eighteenth hole on one leg. So I didn't have to play the whole round. But if you want to talk about pain, that's the most pain I'd ever been in playing golf. I was very fortunate. I didn't. I didn't have really back issues. I really didn't have any issues of uh, blisters or anything like that. The one thing that I can only remember is pumping that last hole in such severe pain. I didn't have a clue what I'd done to myself, but I knew it wasn't good. So I felt his pain. I, I would tell you this, C-Dub. I can't believe he broke out a new pair of golf shoes. That, that is one yeah, that's a really good guy. point, yeah. Because and that's one of the dumbest things I'd ever heard of. Because if you're if you're playing in a golf tournament, especially if you're leading a golf tournament, I'm superstitious enough to know that I'm not. I very seldom want to change my pants, uh, let alone my <laughs> shoes. And so uh, I don't know. That was kind of a very questionable thing on his part. But once once he's in the throes of battle, shall we say? He had to adapt. He just did what he had to do to get in. And then the next day, I guess, he wore different pairs of shoes and, and taped it up where it didn't look like it was affecting him quite as much. But kudos to him that he played so well um, with one shoe, basically, and one foot coming down the stretch Saturday. I mean, yeah, he shot 66 with the, with the bogey on the last hole as well. He actually played the last uh, six holes at one over uh, all pars in that bogey on 18. So, I, you know, I was thinking about it too, Woody, and, 
you know, I had some pretty bad back issues when I was about junior, senior in high school, so I kind of played through uh, some stuff like that. Um, this last, uh, actually, 4th of July at the Washita Valley uh, tournament down here in Chickasha, I, I was in third place after the first round, and I got extremely, extremely ill that night, and I tried to play through it. And I, I shot 75, and I should have shot about 85, Woody. I made about t- about 10 putts that I probably shouldn't have made. So, you know, I haven't gone through anything as serious as a patella, but uh, definitely gone through some things. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners have as well. Um, you know, one other thing I wanted to get to, Woody, because they were talking about this at the uh, the Senior British Open, because they they had highlighted uh, Darren Clark in particular, and that he was most of the time when he was playing over here on the Champions Tour, he was only playing 54 holes in a cart, and over there at the at the Senior British, he was having to play 72 holes walking, and. You know, I feel like it's something that we haven't really dived into a lot on the show, but I feel like it's really, really crucial because not only is do we have to deal with that, what I just mentioned with the seniors, but the live golf in particular is going from 54 to 72 holes, and those guys are having to play in, in the majors, which are going up. And, you know, I was thinking because you probably played a lot more um, four-round tournaments than I have in particular. So what is the different type of, of mental, mental strength you have to have on a three-round tournament versus a four-round tournament? I think I think what you what you see the Champions Tour is a perfect example. If you look at the guys that have stayed really fit, uh, the guys that have stayed in condition tend to be better or do better out there. Bernhard Langer, of course, is the the most uh, obvious of that. But Stricker has stayed in very good shape. If you look at the guys winning out there. They've stayed pretty good conditioning. They don't really get in that cart much. So to think that Darren Clark, you know, could, could motivate himself, and I, I think it's just that. I think he wanted to win that senior British uh, Open really, really bad because only a very few people have won the, both the senior and the regular Open over there, the British Open over there. So I think it's mind over matter. A lot of times, T.W., you can, you can get where you, you get – kind of bummed and you get tired and you give up or you just get that adrenaline flowing and it just carries him through. Now, I'm going to bet you this. I'm going to bet you when he was done and he was holding that trophy, that night after he drank lots of whiskey or whatever he drank, because I know he will partake in a beverage, okay? I'll bet you that son of a gun slept for two days. He was emotionally, physically absolutely toast if you wanted to play darren clark in a match you needed to play monday morning because you'd have beat his butt oh there's no chance that he was gonna play good then and you know it's pretty telling too Willie, that they had so many rain delays going on in that tournament and you know one of the things that the hardest that's hard for an elderly golfer to do is to get loose especially when you're as overweight as darren clark is you know he's a, he's a physical yeah. specimen compared to me but you know maybe not to others we have the notorious uh hill it's uh, at number nine and 18 at southern hills that he's he's known for so him the fact that he was able to stay loose during all that time because it's you start then you stop then you start then you stop and i believe he had what five or six holes left or something like that and he had um you know there's about a two-hour weather delay after there so then he had to go in you're already in the zone right and you're and you're so focused on trying to get to the finish line in the conditions. I mean, they had Woody. They had the squeegees out there clearing paths for guys to put on the front nine. I mean, they were going through 
every single thing possible to, to get that round in. And yeah, I think it was exactly like you said, just that the mental, you know, just saying, I'm going to get this done. And when you have a, a legendary player like Padraig Harrington, who's kind of in the similar boat, because he had won, um, you know, two British Opens over there, Darren Clark with the one. So they were both fighting for that lucrative title that you were just discussing about, um, you know, being the only uh, few of only few players to win both the uh, the Open uh, and the Senior Open. So quite a, quite a formidable list to be a part of. So last thing I want to get to, Woody, before we go to the break, because I, I feel like this is a really good question to ask a, a teaching pro like yourself. So I'm going to get into the, the what's in the bag for Tony Fina, who won the, the 3M Open this last week. So uh, he had a ping uh, G425 LST driver set at 7 degrees aloft. That's pretty pretty low even for today's standards with a Mitsubishi Diamante D Limited 70 uh, TX shaft. Actually had a Callaway uh, 3 wood 14 degrees aloft, essentially the same shaft in that so interesting to see a ping player use a, a different fairway wood and then this is the uh, I'll ask you about this when I get done Woody but this is the club I want to talk about in particular he's still is very similar to Brooks Kepka. he still uses the Nike Vaporfly Pro 3 iron which is a, a, a 6 to 7 year old club maybe even close to 10 years old at this point um, has uh, ping blueprint irons actually some of the prettiest irons out there for through uh, pitch and wedge in those um, let me scroll down here I've got all the pictures of his shafts I don't need to see that um, ping's uh, glide 4.0 wedges at 50, 56, and a a Vokey Wedgeworks prototype, 60 degrees uh, of loft in that, and then a, a ping uh, answer to prototype uh, putter in there as well. Um, so the question I want to ask you about Woody is, he's using that club, uh, the the three iron, the Nike club. That's all. That's eight to ten years old, and you know everyone that I've talked to, every good player, and everyone that knows golf says, if you can find a three wood, five wood, whatever it is, a club that you like. Don't ever get rid of it until it breaks because they're so hard to find one that matches every single player. Why are three woods and longer clubs like that so hard to get right, even with today's technology? Oh, I, I think it's I think it's as much just the makeup for each guy. I remember back late 80s, this was before Metal Woods even started going really good. I had a ping three wood, a big black one of the ugliest looking three woods you've ever seen in your life. But I just loved that golf club. I could do whatever I wanted with it. And I knew I could do it anytime, anywhere. And it took a long time, even when metal woods came out for me to get rid of that three wood and three woods, you hit the nail on the head, three woods and longer type driving irons are, are something that guys just fall in love with. I mean, I know you remember back in the days when ping had that one iron, there was a oh, yeah. I two one iron that so many guys played with, and it, you know, you think of one iron, how many people hit one iron? Well, other than Jack Nicklaus, which one hit, hit one with like a butter knife and could hit it better than anybody I'd ever seen, that ping I two one iron was a staple in a lot of guys' bags. When you're looking at a long iron or a fairway wood three wood especially five woods yeah you can kind of shift in and out of fives and seven woods pretty easily but that three wood and those are long like driving irons when these guys find one that they trust because that's a club they're going to use a lot of times off the tee or into par fives when they find one they can trust it takes almost an act of god to get that out of their hands they're just it's it's same with putters Confidence, my boy, confidence. It's it's a word we throw around, but it is one of the most important words in any athletic endeavor. If you trust it and you're confident in it, why the heck would you take it out of your bag? 
Well, and, and along those similar lines, just a testament to the clubs I use. So I currently have a, a Titleist 906 uh, 18-degree 5-wood. And, I mean, this club's almost 15, 20 years old at this point. I mean, this thing's yeah. been around forever. But I, I just absolutely love it. And, you know, I used to have a, a Mitsubishi Diamante white shaft in it. And I, I liked it, but I didn't love it, you know. And I put in a, um, a Graphloy bi-matrix shaft. It's the same shaft that Bubba Watson uses in his driver. Um, the reason I did that is because it had a, a, a steel tip at the bottom. It's a graphite shaft, but still at the bottom, which helps uh, keep the club face a lot more stable. And... Ever since I did that, Woody, I absolutely love it. So, you know, along the point of you want to find a, a club head that's absolutely right, I feel like a shaft, even if it's an older shaft, is just as much important as if the club head's right. Oh, I think shafts are the, – the shaft market has gotten so much better. Back in the day, it was always seemed like a lot of guys just played dynamic gold, which is a truly fabulous shaft still till this day. A lot of people play it. I went late in my career to something called an Aerotech which is a graphite steel combo. It gives you the feel of hitting like you're hitting steel, but the graphite takes all the shots so that my old broken down body didn't take that beating. So it is, it is something that I would challenge every golfer out there that's listening today, no matter what your handicap is, don't be afraid to go to some place and get it fitted and let them test different shafts. The heads of golf clubs have gotten so good. Almost everybody makes a good head now, T-Dub. But, but shafts change everything, whether it's a mid-kick, a low-kick, a high-kick, graphite, steel. There is so many options out there, and I think people are missing the boat if they don't really look at those options that are available to them and try to go get tested and fitted until they find the one that fits them best. It's expensive to change shafts, but it's better than just going by and a whole new set of golf clubs every time. You might be surprised it's a little cheaper to change shafts than it is by a whole new golf club. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Last thing I want to ask you before we get to break, Woody, because you brought it up there. I feel like when people, because a lot of the lessons I've been given lately, you know, people are getting new clubs and they ask about the shaft. I in particularly tell them, I say, you know, an, an extra stiff in one shaft and a stiff in another shaft may be the exact same thing. Like, it, it, just because it says something doesn't necessarily mean that that's how it's going to perform. And so you need to look at, like you said, the metrics. And in particular, I think that kick point is, is the most, and the torque of the shaft. You know, where is the kick point in the shaft and what amount of torque does it have? So kind of just break down a little bit for the listeners who may not know about that stuff, how important that is and kind of the, uh, not necessarily the physics behind it, but exactly why that stuff's so important. Well, it, just like that Aerotech shaft I was talking to you about, it's notorious for being a little bit stiffer. So I actually play with an R shaft in my irons, and everybody goes, you, you got regular shafts in your irons? Well, your swing speed's greater than that. Well, my swing speed doesn't matter. It's how that shaft performs. The stiff, why did the golf ball way too low for me? The regular, I could get it up in the air a little bit more. And that's something the listener has to figure out. In most cases, I love loft. I like the ball in the air. The higher the ball goes, usually the further it goes. And everybody says, well, in Oklahoma, it's windy. You you need to hit low shots now and then. I agree. But day in, day out, I like a kick point that's a little lower. A kick point that's lower will loft the golf ball a little bit more. It doesn't have as much uh, uh, stiffness down at the bottom of the club. Now, you said something a minute ago. It's very ironic. If the stiffer the tip down there in the bottom, the less the face moves around. That's, that's a fact. But 
in most cases with irons, I like my irons to have loft, so I look for a little lower kick pin. As I work my way up through my driver, three wood stuff like that, I'm not so much as much afraid of putting a little bit stiffer, bring the kick point up a little bit higher. But it's it, it, the only way to do it, and and that's the great thing where we are right now in our world that we live in, Taylor. They They've got so much technology that you can go to any number of these places that pick golf clubs, and they can tell you exactly after watching you hit golf balls which shaft hits you best. The naked eye doesn't really do it as well as the track means and all the devices they have now. So if you're wanting to improve at golf, I don't think you can buy a game necessarily. Please don't get me wrong. But I do think there's a lot of people out there playing with equipment that might not be best suited for. Well, especially if you get clubs that are, you know, f- upwards of 25, 30 years old, which you see a lot of times. Like like a, a guy that I've been giving lessons to, he had some, some 30-year-old clubs probably, just went and got a, a new set of Callaways. And, you know, hopefully I would like to credit a little bit of the work that I've been doing to, to the reason he's hitting a lot better. But, you know, the new clubs are definitely uh, helping, especially the driver. It's because anymore, Woody, the, the modern drivers, it, it's just like, yes, if you hit it real solid, it's going to go a lot further. But your miss hits are going to go so much further and so much straighter now than they would with, with older clubs. It's it's truly uh, remarkable, and I think it's really telling what you just brought up as well. Because I'm the exact same way with my iron shafts. I play S three hundreds iron shafts, and you know everyone asks me why don't you play X one hundreds, and it's the exact same thing. They fly too low, and a lot of people look at you think you just need the stiffness of the shaft depending on how fast you swing it. But I disagree. I think it's how you load in, you load the shaft into the ball because, like, for example, me, I, I hit a lot of knockdowns with my irons, like a lot of them. You know, I generally – I'll take two clubs more and flight it down if I can, you know, just be able to control ball flight in particular. That's one of the things you have to learn uh, into the wind. So whenever I do that, if I play a stiff shaft, I'm not able to ever time it upright, and I miss hit it, and the ball goes 20 yards shorter than I wanted to. So I think it's extremely uh, telling, Woody, what you just said, the fact of don't necessarily think about just your swing speed when you hit it. Go out and hit the clubs and see – see what the performance is like because your your results may be pretty surprising at the end of the day. Well, without a no doubt about it. And in golf, I love golf that we play now. I, I wish people could have played the, the way I played when I started with wooden clubs, bad balls and all that. We didn't know any different. So we didn't know it was any good. But it was really telling to me as as I went through my career I actually drove the ball further when I was on the Champions Tour than I did on the PGA Tour. My stats were so much better. I was hitting the ball further and straighter. And I can promise you, it wasn't because I'd been in the gym. And it wasn't because I was any better of a golfer. It was just literally the, the equipment is that much better. Uh, there's no doubt about it, Willie. That's an absolutely great segment there, a good place to uh, to take a break. After the break, we're going to have, uh, obviously, the live news coming on up at Bedminster, the same course that uh, the PJ Championship this year is supposed to be held at. So thank you very much for not having that. We had a lot of fun up there. We'll preview the Rocket Mortgage, talk a little bit about the State Am. And also, the University of Oklahoma strikes again in the transfer portal. So we'll have news on that right after here on the 73rd Hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McRae Roofing. McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. 
McCray Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McCray Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McCray Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof. It is your home's crowning glory. Call McCray Roofing today at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. Make sure to also visit their website at McRayRoofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y Roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McCray Roofing for your free inspection today. Welcome back here on the second half of the 73rd Hole official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Having a great time here with the Hall of Famer, Jen Woodward, uh, Colby Powell, Sam Humphreys, once again out of the studio doing their uh, doing their nice fun thing. Sam's on vacation. Colby's got daddy duties, as he tends to always do. Actually went by, had to get the sound equipment today, saw beautiful baby Layla, man. She's just grown so fast. It's uh, really awesome to see, and thank God she uh, looks like her mother, not her dad. So definitely got the, uh, the blessing of the genetics there. Right before we uh, get into uh, all the stuff that we got in the second half, Woody, tell us about our friends at Quill Creek Bank. Well, as usual, I'm, I'm so proud of Quail Creek Bank. I'm, I'm very, very uh, uh, prejudiced. But the other day, I'm going to do an off-shoot kind of commercial for him today. I had to go to Quail Creek Bank with my brother. We were closing out a safety deposit box that my parents had owned, um, and they had passed away a number of years ago. So we, we'd forgotten about this safety deposit box. Well, now I can personally tell you, I haven't been there in the bank in a number of uh, months, but I will just tell you this, walked in the door, I've never seen a friendlier group of people. Everybody went in there, everybody was either way to help us figure out what we needed to do. It's a personal note for me to tell you, if you want that kind of service, if you want people to greet you with a smile, if you want people to take care of you like your family, you need to go to Quail Creek Bank. I'm telling you. I had the most fun trying to close out that safety deposit box, and I told everybody that I left when I left, thank you all for your help, and I'm going to tell everybody that's listening today, you want a great bank, you need to go to Quail Creek Bank. I'm just telling you, they're the best. You're not going to find that type of service anywhere else, Woody. Definitely the best around there. Um, so I kind of teased this a little bit before the break. Um, Oklahoma, University of Oklahoma golf team, Ryan Hibble, they've been known since this transfer portal has become a thing to just be snatching up uh, good players. Chris Goddard up uh, notoriously came from there, from Rutgers and Jonathan Brightwell the year before came here from UNC Greensboro. Well, Woody, they strike again. They get uh, Kansas golf transfer Luke Kluver. I hope I'm pronouncing that last name right. K-L-U-V-E-R. One of the best, probably the most sought-after transfer portal golfer uh, out there. Really shocker that OU gets him. Uh, Last three years, Woody, for the Jayhawks, he had nine top ten finishes, three top five finishes, and he won the uh, 2021 Gopher Invitational. So, Woody, not only does Ryan Hibble out there strike on the recruiting trail, he just keeps getting great players out of the transfer portal. It's really, really something to see. It tells you just how I don't think Ryan Hibble ever sleeps. I don't think he ever stops looking. That's why they are so much better than what they used to be. That's why they're national power. 
he goes out of his way to look for the best player he can find. And then he just drops him a little note, I guess, says, if you're interested, come on down. Because I didn't know this young man. I was reading about him, like you said this morning, because I was so enamored with, again, Hibble strikes. And I'm looking at that going, okay, why did I know about this young man? Because he's really played really, really well. Well, obviously, Ryan Hibble knew about this young man because he's watched him in the Big 12. But I, I kudos out to them again that it means – it tells you something that these young men want to go down there and they want to play at the University of Oklahoma. So, boy, everybody else in the Big 12, you better look out. This guy's for real. He's not backing up. He's not going away. He's going to keep getting the best players he can find. And here's a really positive sign for all the OU golf fans out there. Uh, the, the Kluver, the kid that's coming in in the Big 12 match play, played in 14 matches over his career, 10-4 and four record, Woody. I think that that's going to uh, prove pretty good dividends whenever uh, OU gets in the uh, the top eight at Nationals like they generally always do. And I just want to highlight here, too, I know everyone listening knows this, but Chris Goddard up from Rutgers Transfer Portal what, didn't just become an All-American. He won the Haskins Award, literally the best college golfer in the country, and you're able to get him out of the portal. If you can have even half of the success that uh, that Goddard had last year, oh, he's going to be exactly where they need to be. And, you know, we kind of thought about this, Woody, whenever this was even before Chikara left. We're thinking OSU has all these has all these players coming back. They seem like they may be the favorite even over OU, but now with, with Chikara leaving from OSU and OU getting the best transfer portal kid out there, ha- has the tide turned a little bit? Well, I think I think the tide turned a long time ago, C-Dub, if you want to know my opinion on that. I, I just feel like over the last, oh, I don't know, what, how many, 10, 12 years, how, I don't even know long, how long Ryan's been down there, but he's been down there, it seems like, at least that long. He has just been better at it. I, I don't know how else to explain it. He's been a better recruiter. He's been better, especially since his portal became available to these guys. He's a lot better at getting those guys out of that portal than, say, Alan Bratton is up at OSU. And I'm not sure if that's a, a, a downside to Alan or if Alan doesn't spend as much time as Ryan does looking at the portal. I don't know. I just know they keep snatching really, really good players from out of, it seems like out of nowhere. I mean, I didn't know Chris Goddard from come sick of Rutgers. Are you kidding me? How do you find a kid out of Rutgers? Um, but like I said, how do you how do you go against a guy that can go out and snatch players like that? He he's here to stay. I said it again before, and I'll say it again. He is really good at this, and as long as he keeps getting this kind of quality player. You can just count on OU being a national threat. Well, and, and, you know, I want to bring up this point, too, and I'm definitely not shading Alan Bratton at all for this because I have absolutely no idea, but I know that whenever you're dealing, especially kids nowadays, you have to, like, all all these uh, college golf teams have great golf facilities, the majority of them, right? And you're going to be able to succeed as an individual player if you want to go there, but whenever you're battling down for the the top 10 to 15 juniors in, in the country who can go anywhere they want, you have to be able to talk to these kids and relate on their level and be able to 
not necessarily get inside their head, but re- relate to them in the sense of you understand that they're they're just kids and you want to make them better at the end of the day. They're not just going to be better golfers. They're going to be better human beings. And I think personally, just from even being recruited from, that's exactly what Ryan Hibble did. And I think that's why he's been so successful because, you know, I've been playing a decent amount of, up at Jimmy Austin lately. I know uh, your nephew's GM up there now doing an absolute phenomenal job. That course is in just brilliant, brilliant shape. So not only have they been able to ramp the facility up in the last 10 to 15 years in particular, especially after the redesigns, the uh, holes 8 through 12 now are so much better than they used to be. It's not even funny. And that makes that course that much better. And I, I just think that it's, like you said, Woody, it's just going to keep on going because there's no end in sight for them. Ryan Hibble's not going to not gonna lose his talents. They're, the golf course is going to just keep on getting better and better. You can tell they're actually investing in it. They're getting the right people around there. You know, obviously you know that uh, to make that place better. And I, I just think that the sky's going to be the limit. It's just we talked about this earlier. I just brought it up with uh, the Kluver kid going 10-4 and four match play. Match play is very fickle. It's 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 just a fine line. And so whenever they get down in the top eight, Woody, it's just going to be, are they going to be able to get through there and have, have the day that's right? And, you know, it's almost impossible to prognosticate that. Um, now, on the same lines of um, of match play, I'll get into the state am in just a second. But before that, I want to tell everyone about the end all-timer scramble going out at, at Oak Tree on August 29th. That's hashtag end ALZ. Shotguns start at 9 o'clock. There's breakfast. Breakfast and lunch included. It's a great time for an absolutely great cause. Uh, t- you can call Tyler Marks at 405-205-0662. That's 405-205-0662 to get your spot in the hashtag in end ALZ uh, tournament fighting to end all timers. We will be out there as well having a team. Woody, are you excited for the scramble? You, me, Sam, and uh, new father Colby bringing up the rear. I expect us to have a pretty darn good time. All right. I'm pretty much just going to sit in my car and watch you boys play unless you need me. Uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to that. I was going to tell you one other little story about Hibble and, and what I think is so special about that down there. When I was at Oklahoma State in the late 70s, we used to practice at Lakeside. We didn't have any kind of near what we have at Carson Creek now or at Jimmy Austin. Back in those days, you didn't have all those types of facilities. You were lucky to have a golf course you could practice and play at. What we had on, was a really good group of guys on a team that were very close-knit. That's what I see. Another thing I see with Ryan Hibble that I really like. They got guys on that team that are close. They're, they're tight. They're really friends. They love to play together, and they bond together. So that, I just wanted to let you, I just had to say that because that's what I see as much as anything down there. That's a tight group of young men. And I know Ryan's doing a great job coaching, but you still have to have that, that, that team unity and that, that, that makeup that these guys love to be around each other all the time. Again, I think that's another reason why they're so successful. Woody, in my opinion, that's probably the most underrated part of college golf. I, I can tell you this personally. When I played golf at Oklahoma Christian, my favorite moments and one of the reasons why I felt like that we had a very successful team was that we all loved each other. You know, we would have we would have done anything to help everyone. You know, and what's funny too is like we're all from different parts of the country. You know, we had a few guys from Oklahoma. But we had guys from Australia, England. Um, we had girls from Spain, Canada, you know, all that. But we all just we all just loved each other. We all got on the same page, and, and we, we, did, we all had the same goal in mind. We all wanted to win. And I, yeah. I feel like that that is – whenever you talk about the, the coach that sets the culture, because 
you know, there can be times where you have a good culture, but you just have a, a couple of guys on the team that just don't get along. It's not going to be the same. But whenever you set a culture for winning and everyone buys into winning, you do everything you need to do to, to win. And at that point, too, it garners respect because you know if someone's calling you out on something you're doing wrong. It's not because they don't like you. It's because they want you to be better and they want you to be better for the team. And that's something that you can't you can't just manufacture that. You can't get on the website and order that stuff. You know, that's that's something that takes time, dedication, and it's one of the things you're especially seeing or hearing with the OU football team in particular is just how much the culture has changed. And I think that that is so, so very telling, Woody, on that side. I think that's a really great point you just made. So I, I've been teasing this a little bit. We probably have a lot of people listening wanting to know what we're talking about with the stadium at Oklahoma City Golf and Country Club. Um, before we get into the uh, the matches, Woody, tell us your thoughts on uh, Oklahoma City Club. Uh, how, where, where would you rate it on the course, especially with the other Perry Maxwells around the area? You know, I haven't gotten to play it since it was redone, and that's my I haven't fault. I, you know, I, I did. I haven't gotten to Southern Hills to play, so I'm I'm guilty of of not knowing a, a lot about it. Uh, the the mystique of Oklahoma City Golf and Country Club has always been that it's it's such a good track on such a small amount of acres, and it it sounds like they did a lot of really good with the the redo as far as. Uh, uh, fixing a few of those holes, 12, 13, 14 back in there that always kind of were questionable to me. Uh, I think if I look at Perry Maxwell golf courses, though, I don't want to offend anybody at Oklahoma City Golf and Country Club, but when I think of Perry Dunes, um, you know, when I think of Southern Hills, <laughs> when I think of even Dornick, um, I, I love what Perry Maxwell did with those locations. Does that lessen Oklahoma City Golf Country Club? Well, no, but it, it's just hard when you're talking about Perry Maxwell. Where do you rate them? And, and I hate to say it, I, you know, it, it's going to be third or fourth in my book as far as Perry Maxwell golf courses go. And, and Woody, I throw Twin Hills in that group as well. Um, oh, I, yeah, I, I think about Twin. Yeah, there's another one that just – fabulous golf course uh, and we're so lucky in Oklahoma City and in the surrounding area to have that many great Perry Maxwell golf courses and and you know Woody I, I think too that that's kind of interesting for anyone who hasn't played Oklahoma City Club it, 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 it like we're not downplaying it all it really is magnificent but the thing that sticks out to me is that it's got one of the best halfway houses in the world because the whole course runs out to end it's almost like a link style in that aspect because you have one tee and 18 green that are right there. You actually have the driving range that you hit over the first hole, or at least you used to. I, I doubt they've changed it since the redesign because, like you said, there's just not that much room. And so it, no it and and like you mentioned, though, I'd like to see what they did on holes 12 and 13 in particular because I felt like those holes wouldn't be so bad if there wasn't the end course out of bounds that they always had. You know, I, I felt like that that and that just not has nothing to do with the holes in particular. It just has to do with the fact that I hate end course out of bounds in particular. But I do love a lot of holes out there. I think number eight is is a really good risk reward par four. Um, you can almost a, lo, a lot of the guys nowadays can definitely uh, drive the green. I like um, number four, which is a, a pretty sharp dogleg par four. I think that's a really good hole. I think fifteen is a really cool short little par three right there by the halfway house. So a lot of really good holes out there. And and like I said, I. 
I haven't played it since they redid it, but I, I expect they did a magnificent job. So here, I'll break down kind of what's been going on in these morning matches. So uh, the semifinal started this morning. So the final four, essentially, in the final match has just started. Um, in the first match this morning, Caleb Pin- or I'm sorry, Jacob Pinterest beat my old teammate at Oklahoma Christian, Kyle Hudson. Shout out K-Hud. Um, K-Hud lost 3-2, and two, unfortunately, in the morning. K-Hud did win 4-3 and three his last match yesterday to move on, but lost 3-2 and two this morning um, to Pinterest. And then uh, an old friend Ian Davis won in, uh, actually in his Elite 8 match, won in 20 holes. And then this morning, he beat Austin Smith 2-1. Um, and one. And so uh, Pinterest and Ian are playing in this afternoon, and Ian is currently 1-up through 2. Um, Woody, do you have any interesting uh, match play stories that, that maybe you hadn't shared on the air before? Because, you know, I, I was talking with, with Ryder about this. You know, it's just the, the match play is just so much different than stroke play. It's not even funny. And I, I feel like for me, on the matches that I lost, because it's different because – in match play, you're folk, you tend to focus more on what your opponent's doing because you're just trying to beat him as opposed to set a score. But for me, on the matches where I won and maybe was an even underdog and won, I felt like I focused more on just my game in particular as opposed to what someone else was doing. I felt like on matches where you know I got down early or something like that, I was focused too much on what the other guy was doing and maybe playing a little too safe in some spots. So, I mean, what what is a, a good mindset to have in match play? What's the fine line between, you know, not playing too conservative and focusing on what someone else is doing and just doing the best that you can. Well, I think you, you definitely have to, you have to be aware of what your opponent's doing because you can't just make some absolute boner by, by, by blowing a hole when he's already out. So you do, you do have to pay a little bit of attention to where he is and what he's doing, but you also have to get really focused on just beating the golf course. I found in match play that if I kept making birdie, I usually won. It didn't matter. That's what a good rule of thumb, yeah. And and if I got focused on my game and playing, I was I was very fortunate. I, I wasn't a bad match play player. I wasn't probably a great match play player, but uh, I won that golf tournament in '78 at the Green. And a funny story: when I was playing my final match, it was a 36-hole final. I was playing against Jeff McMillan. And at that time, Jeff McMillan was still a high school senior, uh, probably one of the best amateurs in the state. Uh, unbelievable short game, great chipper and putter. Um, I was at Oklahoma State at that time, and we had that match. And, and Jeff was uh, had just been signed by Holder to come to OSU. So it was an interesting match. And we had played the morning match, and I believe I was – I think I was up two or three after the morning and was playing really good golf. Had been playing good golf all week. We went around to the front nine to start the second 18. And the par five, number three, a big, hard, sweeping dog leg left that, that has water down by the green. Long story short, I had about a uh, four-footer or five-footer for birdie. Uh, Jeff had, had chipped up to about three feet. And his ball was on my line. And when he walked up to market, I said, it's good where it is. Well, he thought I, I meant it was good, and he just picked his ball up. Oh, no. And I'm thinking, ah, hell, it don't matter because I'm playing so good. Well, then I missed that four-footer or five-footer to win the hole. And as I was walking up to the tee, my caddy goes, I can't believe you gave him that putt. And I said, well, I really didn't give it to him. I meant it was good where it was he could mark it right where it was and he goes why didn't you say something i said well because i was supposed to make that four or five footer and i didn't so i said but that's done i don't care 
I said, let's get focused again. Let's go play five or four. And sure enough, I drove it down there perfect on four and then hold it for two. And from then on, it was just Katie bar the door away I went. And that could have easily changed my mindset in match play. You know, you think, oh, man, I didn't mean that, you know, and get all flustered. No, it was just one hole. And that's what people, I think, don't realize in match play. That was just one hole. It didn't need to make my day. It didn't need to break my day. I needed to get focused and play the next hole and then the next hole and then the next hole. And that's what match play is. It's one hole at a time. And you play it as best you can, and then you go to the next one, and that's done. Get it, Block it out of your mind, forget it, and go to the next hole. And then just try to keep beating them down. And uh, as it was, that was my golf tournament win. I went on and ran away. I think I won by quite a bit. But uh, uh, to this day, I always think about that. It's 1978, and I still remember it like it was yesterday. T-Dad, where I told him that's good, and he picked it up. I said, no, that's not what I meant, but I didn't care. Well, what's so funny about that, Woody, is in so my very first match play tournament I ever played, I was probably 13 or 14. The OGA State Junior was at Rose Creek, and I, I was playing pretty good at the time. I, I was winning my match, and we get on 15, that, that little short par three with the water to the right, and I'm up, I'm up three or four or something. Or I'm up, yeah, I'm up three at that point, and I end up having a putt. It's like a three and a half footer for par or whatever, and, and I, he, he tells me that putt's good, and so I pick it up. And he ends up losing the hole. Well, ends up I'm winning the match four and three, and and so I'm I take my hat off. I'm ready to, to shake his hand, and the guy's just walking the tee box, and I'm like, well, I, I'm pretty sure I just won. Like, what's what's going on here? And so, you know, we got to talking. He's like, oh shit, you're right. Damn it, I wouldn't have given you that putt if I known it was for you to win. And I was like, at that point, I'm 13 years old. I don't care. I think it was an older kid too. So I'm like, man, I'll go back. And, I'll go back and putt it if you want me to. I mean, it's really not that big a deal. It's a three footer straight uphill. And he's like, no, no, it's fine. I don't think you can do that, man. You know, great matches, good playing, all that stuff. So it's like, I, I understand we're young kids, but at the same time, man, you, you don't even know how the match stands. That's that's pretty crazy to me. Yeah, it is, and and that's how you get so focused in match play. You just lost in your little world, and it. It's it's a, it's a hard. I think match play is so hard because it's so much more mental. Well, I mean, we t- you talked earlier about uh, you know needing to know what your opponent was doing. Well, I think you need to know a little bit because if you don't know where the damn match stands, it's going <laughs> to end up costing. <laughs> like it cost that kid. Unfortunately, I mean, I probably wasn't end up losing anyway. But at the same time, you know, it's pretty much handed to me. So you know, speaking of handed to you, you need to go see our friends at Ring Family Dentistry. They go out of their way to ensure all treatment is as comfortable as possible. Leading edge technology, they do it all. Implants, clear aligner, orthodontics, they got you covered. All decisions are made by the patient. If they can't show why treatment is needed, they won't prescribe it. They they explain their opinion and answer any questions you may have, but they ultimately leave all decisions to the patient, so make sure to go see our friends at Ring Family Dentistry. They do just absolutely outstanding job, and from what Sam says, there's some pretty good golfers, so uh, definitely know that they're listening, and uh, hopefully their guys keep doing a great job like they are. So, you know, most of our guys, you know, with Sam being gone, Woody, we, we got to hold the fort down when it comes to the, to the lift stuff, so... <laughs> right, be- right before we get into the uh, the kind of who's all playing, the favorites and the teams and all that, there's one live rumor in particular that just stuck out to me, and I want your opinion on it. The Hideki Matsuyama rumor of $400 million, that is, to me, that's honestly, that may be low for, for the amount of money and market he may be able to bring from, from Japan. What, Whenever you heard that, Woody, what were your thoughts, and do you feel like, because I feel like that's a pretty accurate number for what they've offered him. I don't think that's fake news by any stretch, and if he doesn't take that, it'd be ultimately shocking, but I think from a business perspective, if Liv actually wants to go on with this, 
400 million may be fairly low. I can't believe I'm saying that, but that's how popular Hideki is, not just in, in the United States, but particularly Japan, where he's from. That's where all that money would come from. So I don't know, Woody. What are your thoughts on it? Well, I think this is something we have to realize that, that the Lib Tour is, they're basing it not in America, they're basing it worldwide. So when you look at DJ gets 120 or Phil gets 200. Is 400 too much to pay? Well, if you've got an endless, bottomless pit of money, what's too much to pay? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I mean, if Hideki has offered that, if that's a true statement, and he turns it down, I'm going to have to say that might be the dumbest thing he's ever done. I, I really do believe that because that kind of money – You'll never see that kind of money. He'll never see that kind of money again. He dang sure can't win that much money playing on the PGA Tour. It's impossible. And I would be interested to see, you know, how much has his has his net worth increased since he won the Masters. I mean, we, we heard about it for years, right, with him winning the Masters. If he ever won a major, it was going to absolutely explode the world of golf. And, it, you know, he was going to be the one of the richest fans, $500 million, stuff like that. You heard rumors out there with, um, you know, be able to market and advertisers and stuff like that. So, I absolutely agree with you, Woody. I think that if he didn't, it would be very shocking. But if he if he's already got that much money, but but also at the same time, you know, he's withdrawn from two or three tournaments this year with a wrist injury. So I mean, he's kind of yeah. in a similar boat that that like Bryson was, and even Matt Wolf, where some of these younger guys who are dealing with injuries. Whenever you don't have a guaranteed check coming in, it's hard to battle through that stuff because you obviously want to come back and play faster than you usually would, and you have so much pressure on you to uh, you know, keep status and all that stuff. So I feel like Hideki's kind of in, in a similar boat as those guys. So I, in all honesty, after the, the FedEx Cup, I would be shocked if, if Hideki didn't go, just assuming that the rumors are true. And, and from what I understand, they they more than likely are. So let's uh, let's go ahead and dive in, in, into the lift. So we mentioned this earlier, Woody. It's at, uh, at Trump Be- uh, Bedminster, which is in New Jersey. That is where the 2002 PGA Championship was supposed to be. You know, we lucked out in particular that Southern Hills was able uh, to host that term on very, very short notice. You know, it essentially happened after the uh, the January 6th stuff is kind of when, when it all went down in 2021. So, you know, Southern Hills really only had about a year, maybe even less, to uh, to get that up and running. So we're finally going to get to see uh, Trump Bedminster. So, you know, obviously with uh, the guys that are headlining the field, you know, uh, DJ Gooch, uh, Answer Louie, Paul Casey, who's been hurt, um, playing his uh, first live event are kind of highlighting the field but we also have uh, newcomers like Charles Howe the third is over there as well which I don't know if we've been on Woody since, since that happened and obviously Hendrick Stinson with, with the cats and stuff I know we've uh, talked about that but what were your thoughts on a, a local guy Charles Howe the third making the decision to go to live well you know Howe has made over 40 million dollars playing the PGA Tour he's just been an ATM machine for 20 plus years He's probably been the most consistent golfer of anybody out there on the PGA Tour. He has not won near as much as I think a lot of people thought he might win. But as far as just making money hand over fist, uh, I mean, he's done it. Uh, Charles Howe's not worried about playing in a Ryder Cup or a President's Cup, obviously, because he he's willing to take the money and run. And Donald Trump, came out last week i thought it was so funny it's typical donald trump he simply said to all these pga pros out there you guys better take the money while they're dishing it out better get it before there's not any money in there get it and go well 
I think Charles Howell did it. I think Henrik Stenson, basically what Henrik Stenson said, and T-Dub, this is what we really got to look at this week with Henrik Stenson. He basically thumbed his nose at the Ryder Cup, which we as traditionalists think, how do you do that? Obviously, that that legend or that 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 status of being a Ryder Cup captain didn't mean anything to Henrik Stenson. Henrik Stenson's lost two fortunes in his lifetime, both on Ponzi schemes. I think at this point, he looked around and he said, you know what, I'm never going to have a chance at this again. It's take the money and run, and that's what he's doing. Now, he might not have said it, but that's what he's doing. Well, and what's funny, too, is that, you know, you talk about legacy, right? And, like, when I think of Paul Azinger, besides him being an announcer, you know, because even even that just happened the last couple of years in particular, but before that, I most knew Paul Azinger for winning the 2008 Ryder Cup at uh, when, when uh, Boo Weekly and Anthony Kim were on the team, the course where it's at slipping uh, my mind at the moment. It might have been at no Valhalla, that's exactly where it was. Yep, thank you, Woody. So, I mean, it just seems like to me, and, you know, like, for example, I think about Hal Sutton. I think about the 2004 Ryder Cup where he decided to play Tiger and Phil together, and... You know, even yeah. even like Darren Clark, we mentioned. Even before, I guess, kind of seeing him at Southern Hills has kind of changed this. But I remember them him winning or making the the making the putt on the last hole. You know, and his that's mm-hmm. right after his wife passed away, and to to make the ceiling putt in two thousand four. So it's the Ryder Cup just means so much, and it's it's crazy to think that because that's, that's something I didn't know about was was Henrik losing that money on those Ponzi schemes because. That's that's kind of like Phil Mickelson, isn't it? Where it's like you think these guys have money, yeah. but but it's you. But people don't realize it's a lot easier to spend money than it is to make it. And it's like yeah. everyone looks at it and says, "Oh, well, you know, they got so much money." Well, it's like if you go buy a nice house, a nice car, make some investments like, like Henrik did, which are probably pretty falsy. Or if you have a, a bad addiction, it doesn't even have to be gambling, like Phil. But any type of addiction, that money's going to go just like it's nothing. So you know, and, and then you have taxes and all that if everyone's doing that. So it's you know, I, I think a lot of people get caught up in, in the in the money and think that well, these guys have so much money they won't need it. But uh, I think there's a lot more layers to it that that people don't give it credit for. So let, let's kind of get into the actual the the golf side of it, Woody. Let's you know, I mentioned uh, you know. Dustin Johnson, TG, Abraham Answer. We'll go ahead and get into our picks right now. So Sam has sent in his picks via text. So, but because right. he's here, he he's kept kind of all all the point system. So I don't know exactly where we stand. So what we'll do here, Woody, to make it simple, is I will go second on both the team and the in the player. We'll have you go first uh, to pick the uh, the team portion, and then we'll have you go uh, snake draft go last to pick the player. How's that sound? I, I'm I'm good with that because I'm last. I know you guys beat me probably both weeks, so I deserve to go first. Let me let me ask you this because you probably have it right in front of you. Um, the new guys that have come on, what team did Charles Howell go on? So Charles Howell is on the Crushers team. So he is with um, Bryson, uh, Sean Norris, and Paul Casey as well. So actually you have two uh, two of the newcomers are, are there as well. And um, who's the – Henrik is uh, the other newcomer. He's on the Majestics team. So he's with uh, Westwood, Poulter, Sam Horsfield, and, and Henrik, who I just mentioned. So he's on kind of that European team. Um, the, 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 the Aces team that won at, uh, at Portland is the exact same 
You have DJ, Patrick Reed, TG, and, right. and Pat Perez. They're kind of the, the headline group. You still have the uh, the uh, the Sergio Answer, Carlos Ortiz, Eugenio Chacara, the old Spanish-Mexican uh, uh, armada you got going on there. The uh, And the team that's kind of been highlighting it all is the South African team with the Stingers. You got Louis, uh, Charles Swartz, who won the first one, Doobie, or Henry Duplessis, who won the uh, – who finished second, I believe, in the first one. And then Brendan Grace, who won uh, at uh, at Pumpkin Ridge. So, I don't know, Woody, yeah. got some pretty yeah. stacked teams there. So, who, who are you thinking about picking? Well, because I think Bryson DeChambeau is going to win the golf tournament. How about that for going out on a limb? Wow. I'm going to have to pick – I'm going to pick him as my individual winner, and I'm going to pick his team. I, I like it. How about that? So going with the Crushers uh, as as the first team, like I said, with the two newcomers, the uh, you know the newcomers, uh, Reed and, and Perez did pretty good for the Aces last week. So not a bad philosophy there. I'll go ahead and, and stick with the Aces. I mean, just they they dominated so much the first event, and uh, Dustin Johnson and Gooch are both uh, two favorites to just win the tournament outright, according to the analytics. So I'll go ahead and ride with them. And you know, Patrick Reed he finished what he finished second or third at the last one. Pat Perez uh, had a few rounds in there but uh, didn't play very good on the final round in particular kind of you know making fun of himself at the end so I will go with the aces on that one um, let me pull up Sam's here I had it in front of me what team he wants so his first team would have been the aces they are off the board because I took him so he is going with the stingers so he's going with the uh, South African team that I just mentioned of Louis, Charles, Brendan Grace and Henry Duplessis so not a bad lineup there so uh, Sam will go next um, his first golfer he's going to pick is TG Taylor Gooch so not a bad pick there I think that you know I heard him listening to the uh, the sport I was listening to sports animal last week Woody and uh, you know they were talking about how because uh, uh, our man the hunt man Craig Humphreys was doing a remote at a John Conrad and he was out there playing with uh, you know Taylor Gooch Caleb Price uh, Maury Rose and um, the the architect John Conrad was out there playing so I, I think TG is going to have some of the vibes that he got from John Conrad you know growing up out there and I think he's going to carry some good momentum into uh, in, into uh, Burnminster at uh, at Trump's course so my pick I'll go ahead and go with Dustin Johnson, Woody. 10.4% chance to win. Gooch is second at 7.3%. So, it just seems like there's no one else really that sticks out to me who I'm like, you know, there's not a, there's no one like Bryson is for you, Woody, where it's just sticking out to me and I'm thinking, oh, he's going to win the tournament. So, I'm going to go with the guy who I feel like is playing the best. Played really well at, at the Open. Actually putted really bad on the weekend and still gained over a stroke the whole event. So, maybe he's figured something out with that club and I expect him to have a pretty good week. So, you picked him the win. Woody, you going with Bryson? I'm going to pick Bryson. That's a stupid pick, but I'm going with it. I don't think it's quite stupid because, you know, let me ask you this, Woody. I mean, okay, so we were talking forever before he he decided to go to live about how long will his body hold up? Is he going to be able to keep doing this distance thing forever and how much further is going to go? But in my opinion, he's going to be a pretty hard worker. I don't think that just because him getting money is going to make – he's not one of those people that Tiger was talking about. He's not going to get money and then just stop trying. I think he's going to keep on going after it. So – Bryson's got to start playing some pretty good golf, Woody. I know you think it's this week, but, I mean, I think it's inevitable, isn't it? I think it is, and I think he's going to get comfortable out there, and I think he's going to enjoy it. Um, you know, the other guy that I think is going to come out of the woodwork soon is Matthew Wolf. I think he's getting really comfortable. He likes this team thing. He, he, he he's, he's enjoying playing golf again. And let me tell you something. When Matthew Wolf enjoys playing golf, he's dangerous. So, I didn't – it, I was either going to pick him or Bryson this week for that reason. I think both of them are getting comfortable, and I think they both like this live tour, and I think they're going to do good. 
And, you know, let's not forget, we know they've gotten all the, the guaranteed money or whatever, but they're still playing for $4 million. I mean, that's that's a that's a lot to yeah. ride on. I mean, that's not just, a, you know, a sneeze into a into a, a tissue or anything like that. I mean, that's some pretty serious stuff there. So, uh, kind of gotten everything out with the live. I'm really excited to see what, what the course looks like. I mean, we were expected to have a major championship of this course, Woody, and now we're seeing it in what some people are calling an exhibition. I don't feel that way, but a lot of people see it that way. So, I'm interested to see what the course looks like. So, let's go ahead and we'll move on to to the, uh, the Rocket Mortgage Classic going on this week. We actually have, in my opinion, Woody, what I think is a fairly comparable field. I feel like the Live and, and this Rocket Mortgage have pretty comparable with, when you talk about what strength of field would have been at the Live. I understand there's only 48 players, but look at the you know the top. You know, Patrick Cantley, who, Woody, in my opinion, is we thought we saw him play his last PJ Tour event at the Travelers, and, and that hasn't been the case. So we're going to get to see Patrick Cantley play a Tour event. you got Will Zalatoris, Tony Finau, Cameron Young, Max Homa are, are the guys that are in the top 20 playing. Um, we have a strength of field, Woody, of 227, so that's that's still pretty low. Okay. You know, it's it's not horrible. Last week we had a strength of field of 113, so it's last week was a lot worse field, especially in particular coming off of the Open Championship. A lot of those guys weren't going to play the next week. And, you know, a lot of people are going to say that if they don't like the strength of field, the Rocket Mortgage, they're going to say, oh, well, you know, it's just because, you know, the Liv's taken away from that. And, and, no, I don't think any of these Liv guys would play the Rocket Mortgage just because it's it's such a weird point in the schedule. You know, it's only there's only three events between the, the uh, British Open and the uh, the first event of the playoffs. So a lot of guys are just going to take three weeks off because they're going to play three straight weeks after that. So, I think it has more to do with where it is at in the schedule. So, Woody, just all some of those guys I mentioned or anyone else, who's kind of sticking out to you this week at the Rocket Mortgage? I think this is a big week for the PGA Tour. I think what they need to have this week happen is what you just said, not so much Cantley, because I still think Cantley's going to go. I really do. For some reason, I don't know why I believe that. But you need you need either Max Homa, uh, you need Will Zartoris, you need Cameron Young, or you need uh, – um, Tony Finau to win again. Tony well, Finau win again would really help the PGA Tour. I think they need one of those guys to come to the plate because, honestly, how long can Rory and JT carry the flag for the PGA Tour? We we need somebody else. If the PGA Tour is going to you know really start saying, hey, we're still the best. We need somebody like that to come up and say, no, you know, I'm the next superstar. I'm going to be the next Rory or JT or Jordan Spieth, even though Spieth hasn't done anything to write home about lately. They need a, they need a super guy or superstar to start showing his stuff. And one of those guys needs to be it for them this week for sure. And, and I feel like even Woody, like, like at the RBC Canadian Open, we had a Rory JT finale coming down the stretch, which was literally a dream case scenario. So maybe even not in particularly just having one of these guys go out and win, but I think you're going to need maybe two of them battling it down the stretch. If you if you had a Cantley Zalatoris tied going into the back nine, that would be awesome stuff. And that would be must-watch television. Or if you had Zalatoris Finau or or Cam, even Cam Young, Kevin Kisner or something like that, I feel like that would be yeah. you know pretty good because Kisner, he's 27th in the world um, you know, who I actually really like this week, isn't necessarily the best player, but he's a, he's a household name. You know, a lot of people, even not people who are super into golf, know who Kevin Kisner is because he kind of relates to everyone. So I feel like you're exactly right. They definitely need that. Or what they need is is someone like a young guy, like a Davis Riley or a, a Sahiti Gala to take the bull by the horns and win two or three events in a row and, and come out and be the young guy. You know, Scotty Scheffler kind of did that at the start of the year. And We've even seen it. He's he's been the number one player in the world really for the last seven months, and 
what at the last three majors, hardly anyone ever talked about him. So it's yeah. a lot of times it's like you can even be playing really good and not do it. So maybe if young, one of these young kids can come out and be, you know, somewhat flashy, you know, there's never, never going to be another Tiger or anything like that. But or even like a Pearson Cootie or someone like that, just come out and make a statement and have some eyes drawn on. Him. You know, Spieth was kind of like that where. A lot of people right. just kind of gravitated to him for, in all honesty, whatever reason. I mean, a lot of people kind of related to him. You know, he has his uh, a sister, who I believe, has Down syndrome. So, you know, there's a lot of cool stories that went on with that. And Spieth overall seems like a pretty good guy. And, you know, Ricky was kind of different because he was more flashy. He was wearing the orange on Sundays and stuff like that. So, I feel like the tour needs either a, either they're good players to play good every single week, which you can't rely on that, or you're going to need some guys to come out and, and draw attention to themselves and be flashy and be... Be someone like Bryson, you know. I remember at the PGA Championship, Woody, I heard so many people in the stands say, where's Bryson at? Is he going to play? I want to see Bryson hit bombs, you know. And it's because he's such a, a gravitational force when it comes to viewership. And the PGA Tour needs something like that. And I feel like losing Bryson in particular was someone that, that really hurt him. So, um, any other picks, Woody, that you, that you have going on? I've got my DraftKings here line up. I'll kind of breeze through it right away after you give uh, any, any more insight. I don't, nothing really. I, I, I think back, you know, what's crazy is I think back to uh, the late 80s. Um, Peyton Stewart was walking down the driving range. He looked around and they all looked the same. Everybody looked the same. They all had on their khakis or whatever slacks, you know, they all had this and this and this. And Peyton Stewart thought, how do I separate myself? Well, he got knickers. Now, he caught a lot of flack by a lot of guys. Yes, he did. But you know what? God love him because he was smart. He had to separate himself, and that's what you're talking about. Somebody needs to do something to separate themselves so the PGA Tour can brag about this person. Um, I don't know. This week, I, I'm just thinking one of those guys you just mentioned is going to win the golf tournament. I hope for the PGA Tour's sake. One of them does. Nothing against the Scott Pierce or Grillo or any of these kinds of guys fighting to keep their cards. But people don't want to see that. I really don't. They, they want to see somebody they know. They want to see somebody they can pull for. And those guys aren't the ones. you got to get one of those other guys. And so it's going to be, let me tell you something. What's fun? Back in the day, we when we didn't have lifts, you know, we're talking about the Rocket Mortgage, and neither one of us are really excited. I can tell it in our voices. So <laughs> it's kind of fun to watch this. It is, it's, it's a whole new world we're living in, and I think it's going to be good for golf. I might be wrong, but I still believe this is going to be good for golf. Well, and I, I think we could have a week, Woody, like we had at the, the RBC, like I mentioned earlier, where it's – yeah, we had some great golf at the uh, at the at the first live event, and then we had the the fin- the great tournament that was the RVC. So it was like it was to me is the perfect example that both tours could could coexist and, and make things happen. And I really hope that that honestly that happens because I feel like what what's get lost a lot of time in the shuffle of you know because you you me and Sam in particular are all fairly pro live on that aspect, but. I don't feel like any of us want the PGA Tour to fail. You know, it's not like we're sitting no. here and pointing at and saying, oh, we want them. Like, we disagree with a lot of things that they've done. But at the same time, it's like, oh, we don't want them to just get burned up and go away and we'll never see them again and live has to be the predominant tour out there. I don't I don't think we 
say that whatsoever, but it's we just want the tour to be able to acknowledge the things that they've done wrong and how they could be better to the players instead of trying to be better to the executives and the people that are behind the scenes. Because, you know, when Jay Monahan would have been the fifth highest player on the tour, that's a little bit ridiculous whenever those guys go out there and bust their ass uh, so much. So, uh, got kind of a little bit sidetracked there. So, I'll go ahead and break down my, uh, my DraftKings here. So, I'm going to go with J.J. Spawn, Woody, for my first pick at 6,900. This is a guy who has played really well at this golf course. He's gained, I believe, let me get my exact number here. So, he's gained 1.08 strokes in 12 rounds here. He's finished 13th, 30th, and 32nd. So, he's made the cut all three times. Hasn't been playing particularly well as of late, but I think he'll turn that around here pretty good for that price. So, then I'm going to go up to 7,500. A guy that not many people have heard of, Taylor Pendriff. This guy who's been playing decent amount lately. He's played in the, the opposite field events, finished 11th and 13th there. Actually finished 13th, going all the way back uh, to the Players' Championship, and he's notorious for being one of the longest players out there on tour. So, really like him at 7,500. I think he has a good week. Going up to 7,800, I like Chris Kirk. I, I think Chris Kirk is going to play really well this week. He's been playing exceptionally well. He finished uh, obviously 13th at, or I'm sorry, he finished 5th at the PGA Championship and has not missed a cut since that event. So he's definitely got it rolling there as well and he loves this course as well. He's gained, he's finished 21st and 12th uh, as two events here. So really like Chris Kirk as well. I'm feeling pretty confident about my lineup, Woody, if you can't tell. So at, uh, yeah, I'm gonna, I mean, and, and you know what? A lot of times it comes back to bite me in the ass. So, and, and let's hope that doesn't happen because my lineup last week, Woody, thank God we didn't do a show because I had like five of six missed the cut. It was absolutely atrocious. I, I knew I was done Thursday morning. That That's when you know that, that you didn't have a very productive week to say the least. Um, so going up to 8,500, I'll go with Cameron Tringali. Talk about a guy that loves this course. Fifth, 30th, and 14th in two rounds. The only other person who's gained more strokes in this term is Nate Lashley, who won the inaugural one by like six shots or something like that. So Tringali loves this place, and I'll get through here real quick. At 8,800, Maverick McNeely, I had him picked in my one and done a couple weeks ago and uh, only finished like 49th or something like that. I actually had him last week. I apologize. So, you know, hopefully he can bounce back from that, but he also hasn't missed a cut in, in, in quite some time. So going all the way back to the Travelers, um, he's finished 8th, 16th, 9th, and then 49th last week when I had him. So I think he'll keep the momentum going there. And then my most expensive player, Woody, this is my winner of the golf tournament. Best iron player in the world currently. Give me Will Zalatoris. I, I I expect to see something special from him this week. You know, he you look back on how he's played in tournaments that aren't the majors. You know, he missed the cut at the Scottish. He did finish fifth at the Memorial, but missed the cut at the Charles Schwab and missed the cut at uh, at the A&T Byron Nelson. So, you know, Woody, the last few times he's played in a, a non-major and even Memorial, I would consider to be a, uh, you know, upper echelon P.J. Turvin almost feels like a major. He hasn't been playing particularly well, but I think that trend breaks this week, and I just absolutely think that Zalatoris, at some point, Woody, he's going to get on a run like Scheffler did where he's going to win one time, then he's going to win like three more times within the next two months. I firmly believe that. I agree with that. I, I think he's somebody the PGA Tour needs to put the stamp on. If he could turn it around, that'd be really good. Really good. And and he did come out. I believe he was asked in an interview uh, this week. They said he he was asked about live, and he said, you know, if I was paid more money, I'd still do the same thing. So you know, I I think that that's a decent way to look at it. And like I said, I don't have any problem with people who don't want to go. That's probably the more honorable thing to do. But. I agree with exactly what you said, Woody. The PJ Tour needs to find these guys that they can they can build around and lock them down for a while. And kind of like Sam's mentioned on some shows, you know, maybe give these guys guaranteed contracts of some sort to make sure that it happens. I, I wouldn't have a problem with that, and I think it would probably help PJ Tour in the long run. So uh, before we get out of here, I'll give my uh, my one and done pick. 
The analytics aren't real high on him, Woody, but I really like Kevin Kisner this week. Uh, you know, he finished 21st. 21st at the Open, he finished 6th at the Travelers. Before that, Woody had missed four straight cuts, so was playing absolutely horrible. But last two weeks, he's been putting a lot better. His stretch of missed cuts, he was putting absolutely terrible. And I, and I look at this course, Woody, he's played here three times. Finished 46th the first year, but the last two years, he finished 3rd and 8th. And both yeah. of those years, he gained a decent amount of strokes gained on the green. So, and, and he's mentioned it before, Woody. Kevin Kisner, you know, he's going to finish 25th or 30th at, at Torrey Pines, but he can win at, at certain courses, and I think this is one of those courses that doesn't necessarily demand long ball off the tee box. It's more of a placement golf course. So, I don't know what he said. sounds like you're on the same train as me. You really like Kisner this week? I do like Kisner, especially when he's putting good. It's hard for me to believe he ever puts bad. He, he, he's got an unusual, like, setup to the ball, but he's solid as a rock with that putter. And if he's putting good, He's a hell of a pick. I, I like it. I think you're right on. And, and, you know, what's weird about his putting stroke, too, is, like, you know, it, it looks fairly, you know, stern in a sense. You know, it, it doesn't look yeah. it doesn't look extremely natural. And it seems like the majority of really good putters look more natural and feel like it's more a feel thing. You know, Denny McCarthy, Ben Crenshaw in particular, Lauren Roberts, Brad Faxon, all along those lines, Tiger Woods. And, and Kisner just kind of looks like he's purposely bracing his knees there to make sure he doesn't move. And he kind of looks more like a robot than he does, uh, you know, like trying to roll the ball to the hole. So kind of interesting phenomenon uh, how that works. Um, before we get out of here, I'll, I'll go ahead and give a uh, update on the state. Am Ian Davis and uh, Jacob Pinterest are uh, tied through six holes now. So got an interesting match going on there. At Oklahoma City, so that that's some great stuff there. Always love that tournament, one of the best in the state. Woody, before we get out of here, anything else? Nope. I wish those boys luck. I hope they stay hydrated because it is one hot son of a buck out there. There's no doubt. Luckily, at the stadium, they are allowed to have carts. If it was like the USAM and they had to walk 36 holes and stuff like that, it would be absolutely disastrous. You'd probably have some heat strokes going on because we're setting uh, record heats here. So, Woody, absolutely enjoyed it. You know, we, we kind of missed our comrades, Colby and Sam, but I feel like we did a great job, and I always love, you know, because this is my first time, you know, I've, I've owned this podcast for two and a half years or a year and a half now, and this is my first time I ever hosted. So, I absolutely loved it. I get to get a little bit more kind of down in the weeds with some of the technical stuff that me and Woody talked about in particular in the first break. So absolutely love it. Everyone check us out on Twitter at uh, the 73rd hole and Instagram at 73rd hole and make sure to check out golfoklahoma.org. They are the best for the uh, local knowledge. So shout out to everyone. Thank you again and thank all our great sponsors. Check out our next episode coming out on Monday on the 73rd hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma.